Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello, and welcome to HivriaCast. Uh, this is a really exciting one. I'm super pumped. We have uh, no offense to all the guests before, but this is the best guest we've ever had. <laughs> it's Rivka Neharai happens to be married to me, Woo-hoo. but also happens to be an incredibly creative uh, and unique Jew. And uh, I'm so excited to have you on Rivka Neharai. Thank you. <laughs> That's uh, Rivka clapping for herself, just to clarify. Um, she didn't want people to think <laughs> there was not actually a, a clapping track. <laughs> we do everything organically. Um, how are you? Thank God. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. I have been dreaming about this day actually for many months, probably yeah. a year. Um, is Hivria Cast even a year old? Whenever you started, we always wanted me to come on. Right. But then we were worried about. You know, balancing baby and mm. anyways, so I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. And well, it's interesting because you just wrote a thing about parenting and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a big topic in what you write. Right, right. Yeah. So I guess we'll get into all of that really soon. Mm-hmm. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Mm-hmm. Besides, uh, you know, there's, we are not a patriarchy here and we want to know what you do, you know, beyond being a wife and a wife. Uh, a mother, of course, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> well, being a wife and mother is my most impressive role. Uh-huh. Um, but um, beyond that, I I consider myself a painter and a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have started... Uh, what does it mean? Why do you say you consider yourself a painter and a writer? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you don't want to get deep with this um, yet? I was ready to go to delve into <laughs> deepness. You're not ready yet? No, I could. I usually say I'm a painter and a writer. Uh-huh. I so don't I'm know. Curious, so I actually don't know. why did you phrase it that I'm way? I'm not really sure. I consider myself. You know, because I think I was planning on saying I consider myself to be a painter primarily. Oh, I see. And a writer secondarily. So it wasn't like a very deep insecurity that you were letting out into the world? I don't think so. Okay. But we could investigate that. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be the most... Let's like, bring my therapist on. <laughs> this is going to be the most like ridiculous podcast episode. All right, continue. Um, so, yes. So, and I also have a postcard, a contemporary art postcard subscription service that I started. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, um, you get a creative injection of art once a month through mm-hmm. contemporary art postcards. Um, why did you start this and what does it mean to have an art injection? Mm -hmm. So basically there's an experience that I have when I'm really moved by a piece of art, Mm. you know, where you see an art piece of art and you get inspired. You know, we all want that feeling of inspiration is one of the best feelings that humans have, you know, because it's this feeling you're filled up with this feeling. You want to do something. You know, and as artists, it's really hard when you feel not inspired, you know, but when you, you know, like a couple of days ago, I felt inspired. I wanted to write about um, education and what's the most important Jewish education. And I, you know, I was filled with all these feelings. I wanted to, and it's this very pleasurable experience of letting it out, you know. Um, so I wrote a piece that was on every yesterday about um, what is good Jewish education. But um, so... So that experience of seeing a piece of artwork and being inspired um, and then wanting to do something from it was something I wanted to pass on to other people and to kind of create this network of art, artists. Um, so basically the idea is that once a month you receive two postcards from a different contemporary artist every month. And um, it's one image on both postcards. And you also receive like a story about the artist's life and words from the artist about how they approach art making. So it's all these ways to just like get inspired. So by art injection, you mean like that? Yeah. You're sharing that feeling of inspiration that you get by looking at a piece of art. Right. Yeah. And hearing the artist's words. And then hopefully the idea is to then do whatever you want with the postcard. You could send it to someone, you could write, you know, lyrics to 
the song you always wanted to wanted to create. You could just sketch. You could you know give it to a random stranger. So the hope is that you create something, something from that. Something with it, yeah. Because that's like the goal of inspiration is not just to feel it, right. but to yeah live it. Yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, that's really cool. I feel like that, at least in our lives, I feel like that's a really common thread in the kind of stuff we do together, which I think is probably maybe the other side of thing in terms of what you do, right? Mm-hmm. Like that we do a lot of stuff together that mm-hmm. I think people like don't even realize how involved you are in like the kind of stuff that we do. Not not like both on a practical level, obviously, like mm-hmm. that you do all this stuff for Havria and like right. and all these things and, and and that you we do these creative fabringens together and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But also philosophically, like you know, we've been talking about what is Jewish creativity? What is Jewish creativity? Mm-hmm. Like all the time, like we talk about that or we talk about how do we encourage creativity and all these things. And I think one of the things that seems to me to m- move both of us so much is this idea that like, you know, that what, like I think one of the things we share is a frustration of seeing people only be inspired and not creating. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like that, you know, people will, be really moved by something that they see, but they'll, and they'll be like, I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. They, they, they literally express these things right. sometimes, especially now that we have like a creative community mm-hmm. of Jews um, around us or near us and that sort of thing. And you kind of see how, anyway, so it's just interesting that to you, like even with this thing that you're doing, like you're really hoping that people act on it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it just fills me like with the feeling of, happiness when I can help other people create, you know, and, um, I want to hear other people, you know, cause it inspires me when I hear other, what other people are thinking, what other people and, um, yeah, like I, you know, I thought for a little bit that I wanted to be like a creative, um, coach, mm-hmm. you know, cause it did give me so much happiness, but then I realized it was too much pressure. And mm-hmm. it wasn't actually good for me. But I think either way, you still want the same thing, though. You want people, right. like you're finding way, the right way for you right. Right. to get people to do art. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because it just, it just, when other people do it, yeah, it feels more inspiration in the world. It feels more and more, and it's just it's better and better. It's interesting because I feel like there's something so Jewish about that, this idea that, like, it's not enough to feel, like, we need to act, you know, mm-hmm. like in the same way that like it's not enough to just be inspired by the Torah you read, which is obviously, and it's not to say that that is not an inherently worthy thing, obviously, right. like going to an art museum is incredibly inherently powerful experience, um, just as Lahavdil, like doing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, exp- uh, I mean, yeah, Lahavdil between the two, but basically like studying Torah is this uh inherently powerful experience which but on the other hand where the Torah itself is telling us like we have to act we can't Mm -hmm. just hold hold what we have inside you know yeah no definitely and I think you know for me and and I know for you also that we've experienced the power of the release of when we create you know so so something that I always talk about that was really um, moving for me was Basically, I had this turning point. I was I was a painter. I went to school for painting, and but I wasn't really so active in it for a few years after college. And then by Hashkacha Pratis, like I opened, my friend gave me this book, The Artist's Way, and I opened it one day. And something that really caught my eye was like she was uh, Julie Cameron was really saying that a lot of artists experience a lot of anxiety, and if they do art like a lot of this anxiety actually dissipates. And that was something that really stuck out for me because at the time I was, oh, <laughs> a little too excited. Um, <laughs> at the time I was um, I was experiencing anxiety. I'll go a little NPR style. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> For anyone listening, I just want to clarify the really random awkwardness. I was trying to signal to Rivka to slow down a bit, but it was really... Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to go on piano. No, you don't. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make it all weird. Go ahead. So I... No, but I actually do like the NPR style. I think I'm just excited. No, it's great that you're excited. I don't want to to, uh, dampen your excitement. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, okay. We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. If we can do like a ten-hour heavy cast, and then the first hour will be excited, and then the second. Yeah, hour... Yeah, we'll have a lot of listeners for that one. <laughs> okay, 
So I realized that, um, that with, yeah, I was, so I was experiencing anxiety at that, that time and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to really try to use all of Julie Cameron's techniques and things and, and really apply myself and really start creating more and being more inspired and digging deeper. And I really saw how it affected my mental state. Mm. Um, dramatically and so that you know on my heavy bio it says like uh, Rivka is uh, outspoken for people's emotional that art is that art is very therapeutic Mm -hmm. you know that's not all art is you know art is a lot more than that but it's really a powerful tool Mm-hmm. So kind of like when I feel like I discovered something of the universe, you know, I want to share that with other people. So right. for example, I recently wrote about, you know, how our daughter Naomi, I tried this red onion thing with her, you know, that's really helping her asthma. And I'm like, if this is helping her, you know, and I have suffered so many and she's suffered, you know, years, I have to share that with other people. You know, I want other people to try it. And actually one woman contacted me yesterday and said, you know, what's the recipe exactly? I want to try it. So that's just the feeling I have. So the same thing with art is like, you know, if I figured out how much it enhances my life, how much it makes me a better mother, how much it taps me into, you know, my soul and what I'm meant to do and my voice. And like, I want other people to do that too. And it frustrates me. You know, it's hard for me to see people like not getting enough help, not getting enough of what they need. You know, it's hard for me to see other people suffering. So I want people to feel empowered. I want people to, you know, and so why, yeah, so the, so, you know, I think we believe in people creating because we know the power of creating. We know how we've changed through creating and we know how the world can be better and how we can be, you know, better people, better Jews, better, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's just like, if it's like if we discovered like these vitamins that, you know, totally helped us live better lives, we'd want other people to take those vitamins too, you know, like vitamin D, <laughs> which a lot takes ongoing every day. debate in the house. Um, <laughs> that's really interesting. I think it's funny because sometimes I see myself as like constantly in the beginner stage of writing. Mm. And I mean that in this, in a, like in a good sense, in the sense that like there, there's this book that I always talk about and will probably come up at least like once every few podcasts, which is like, if you want to write, like mm-hmm. just like a lot of people talk about the artist way. Right. I talk about this book, mm-hmm. if you want to write. And that whole book is just like, how do you get yourself to a place of loving writing right. and like, and, and just doing it, like mm-hmm. just doing it. That's like her whole thing is just getting yourself to just do it. And mm-hmm. And I think from like, and what I mean by like, I felt like I'm going to be good at like, I'm constantly reteaching myself how to embrace mm-hmm. the doing of it right. versus like, there's a lot of skill sets that can go with like being a writer and all these things. And, and I think like I've slowly only started to like, think about them more seriously, mm. you know? Um, yeah. But I think what's interesting, what I've found interesting is, is that I feel like it's underappreciated because we talk so much about we're a very uh, utilitarian culture. Mm-hmm. So we talk so much about tools and we talk so much about this, but mm-hmm. like for so, I would say for like 90% of the people in the world, when it comes to art, the first stage mm-hmm. of just doing it is, is the hardest hurdle to get mm-hmm. over. And mo- and and that's why so many people don't do art. Like, even though they want to, like, you know, it's this thing that's so, you know, it's interesting. I mentioned this to you, but I, I should bring it up. It's like, I got a call from this rabbi who, um, I don't know if I should say his name publicly, but he was, he probably wouldn't care, but <laughs> I got a call from a rabbi who also cares a lot about creativity mm-hmm. and he was talking about how much he like cried during HavriaCast, wow. listening to HavriaCast because he was like, oh my gosh, there's this place where people take creativity seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and, and that's the thing. Like, I think that's the, one of the main messages I feel like we try to share with mm-hmm. the world. It's like, it's not... It's not a minor thing. Right, right, right. Like, it's so important. Right, no, totally. And that's why, yeah. like, to me, that idea of just motivating yourself to do it is, mm-hmm. for some people, I think it's hard. I think people that, like, for me, I think people that suffer from things like anxiety and bipolar, like, these mm-hmm. are things that I have. And, and like, I think that, for me, that's that, that's been the most important skill is just learning how to get up in the morning and write every right. day. And then right now I'm trying to write at night as mm-hmm. well and, and that sort of thing. So, like... Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of, of things that can help someone like you. It's kind of like you need to know how to approach art making. You know, you need to know what's going to happen, you know, that what's holding you back, how to combat that. You know, just yesterday I posted something on Facebook about like I was having these negative thoughts. You know, I was just feeling like Ugh, I, my art, I feel like I suck. I feel like, yeah. you know, <clears throat> you know, and getting so down and like I've luckily had a lot of experience of people, you know, complimenting me, supporting me on my art so that I know, well, all these people did, you know, these different people said it was they liked my art. So maybe, you know, so I'm seeing if someone doesn't even have that, yeah. you know, they're just, they have nothing. So, but, but I also know that, okay, I'm having all these negative thoughts. What do I do? So I sat down and I wrote, I wrote back to them. I think my art sucks. Okay. That's what I wrote down. And then I wrote back, well, there are things I like about it and there are things I don't like about it right now, what I'm working on, you know? And I wrote, um, you know, I feel like I need to like plan things out more and I need to sketch. I need to, and I'm like, and I wrote back, yeah, you're right. You know, like that's good. You know, cause it, to me, it's a sign like, um, that I went over the first hurdle of like, I just need to express. Cause right. sometimes I feel like I just am overcome with all these feelings. I just need to be on the canvas and be alone and just, ah, you know, scream onto the canvas. And that's good. But then sometimes I reach the next stage, which is like, I want to be a little more organized about it. I want to, you know, these colors that I'm just randomly picking, sometimes they're not so appealing. I want to be a little slower about it. And that's a good step, you right. know? So so there's this whole background experience of, you know, like something that um, I always think about Shana Kamen. Shana, you listening? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard her. She said, yeah. Shana. Um she and I always have this thing that we say of like, <laughs> we always say of like, it's okay for your art to suck. Like it can suck, you know, like that's fine, you yeah. know, cause I think people are so afraid like, oh, it's gonna, it's, oh, what if it's horrible? That's fine. Just make it horrible. Make it, you know, like just do it and then you'll reach the next stage, you know, but there's so many different things, tools you need to know of, you know, what's going to stop you. And I think what was really powerful for me was at the same time I was doing the artist's way, we were going to my note. And I was learning a lot of Hasidic ideas that I really correlated. So my note, my note seminary yeshiva in Jerusalem. Which is? Which is a Chabad Balchuva seminary. Um, and we went, I went, we went there for a year after we got married. It was my first exposure to like the depth of Hasidic thought. And, there's so much that I correlate between the experiences of being a Jew and being an artist mm -hmm. and the struggles and the, so like one thing about being a Jew that Hasidus really helps with is like, sometimes we can view all the things we have to do as commandments, as obligations, as burdens, as like, I have to do this. I have to do that. You know, and the same thing can happen with art that you're like, you know, I have to write, I have to paint, you know, that's the worst feeling is when you don't want to do it, you mm -hmm. know? But what Hasidus does is Hasidus says like, look, you know, it, 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 it's a way of like breaking all of this, like yoke. It doesn't seem like a yoke. It seems like a uh, opportunity. Mm -hmm. Look what you're doing. You're, you're lighting candles. You're, you know, like, look what's happening in, in the different spheres of the world when you're doing that. And look how God is responding and look at, you know, and then you're just like, oh, it's not a burden. It's this exciting gift that I can do, you know. So also with art making, there's so much to psychologically figure out how to make it this experience of joy, how to make it this, oh, it's not a yoke. It's nothing I have to do. It's like, ah, you know, and that's also why. How do you get to that place of inspiration, mm -hmm. which is also the idea of creative injection, you know, is that you need inspiration is so important, you know, and that was something that I understood. I understood why my note um, seminary, one of its like, you know, running things was like, it's not about the inspiration. It's about, you know, because they were very into like really working at it. But at the same time, Hasidus is so much also about inspiration, you know, and that's important. And inspiration is like, is highest you know it is that life force yeah i you remember know? once actually during a febring and uh, one of the rabbis was like actually yeah inspiration is really important it's so important <laughs> oh my gosh it's just like because yeah. i'm just like what we need every day is to feel like there's a reason that we're all obsessed with feeling good and feeling happy it's because when we have that it's like the best gift in the world and then we want to do things you know 
So it's also with art making. Once someone realizes like it's so important, that's like mm-hmm. the first step. And then the second step is like figuring out how to get to that place in order that the art making happens. Okay. And the same with like being a Jew, like as Orthodox Jews, we, these are the things we need to do. We have to do, we want, you know, but then getting to that place of like, how can I get myself to the place where I also really want it? Mm. You know, it's interesting because I think for me, you know, we we're just talking about like, you know, recently I started this memoir. I'm trying to mm-hmm. start a memoir. Is <laughs> how I put it. Um, and what, why do you think you're right? You said, <laughs> Why do you think <laughs> I am very open about how insecure I am about it. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I mean, I'm like, yeah, I'm insecure. That's actually my point is that, um, yeah. so like I, <laughs> I remember, like I remember when I had to start myself, it, it's basically been an experience of like a more, a milder version of when I had to get myself to had to like when I was trying to get myself to write mm-hmm. regularly. Yeah. And at the beginning right, right. it was like this huge, Mm-hmm. It was huge. Hu- it was. I, I was actually. What's interesting is I talk about if you want if you want to write a lot, but the book that really actually changed my perspective of how to write, how to actually get myself to write every day, mm-hmm. was this book called oh, I On Writing Stephen King. No, it oh. was called The Seven Secrets. Oh, of the prolific. of highly prolific. Yeah, people. yeah, yeah. And and it was it's an incredible book. Mm-hmm. Like I highly recommend it for people who have trouble because one of the things that it shows in that book is like there's a lot of we don't realize how much uh, stuff goes on behind the scenes when it comes to not creating. Right, like, right. there's so much. Like, and, and, and I mean, it's so much and also so little in a sense. Like, once it's clear, it, it becomes a lot easier. And so one of the things that I've had to do since starting the memoirs, I've had to kind of go through that same process again because I've learned how to find that joy in the mm-hmm. morning mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. But... Getting yourself going with some a new creative endeavor is almost like, especially if you're like I consider myself a perfectionist, yeah. like in in the sense of I have a fear of failure, mm-hmm. and so I have all these things that go on in my head when I'm about to start a new project. Mm-hmm. Right, and if I if I haven't developed a routine, it's very hard for me to like keep up a regular um, schedule. And so what I've done is, you know, I'll have like a, I, I I I'm literally doing what I did when I started writing uh, regularly, which was giving myself a cookie oh, right, at right, the right. end of it. Yeah. And, you know, it's this thing where for so much of us, we have been trained, and it's not just with art. Like, for me, this is in everything. Like, mm-hmm. when I start something new, we've been trained to see it as this scary burden because this is this is how, this is how we, the world will grade us. Like, mm-hmm. we've, like, we are either good, successful, you know, powerful, et cetera, people, or we're like failures. I mean, this is how a lot. I'm not saying this. I'm saying this is this is both the messages that society sends a lot of times, and also just how a lot of people just look at themselves because of life experience and mm-hmm. how they grew up and, and different things. And and ironically, we have to like literally treat ourselves like Pavlov's dogs a little bit, right. like to realize that we're not that so much of the stuff that we do is like based off of off of just like. Yeah. Not not viewing ourselves accurately, mm-hmm. like like not and 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 judging ourselves mm-hmm. and all these things, and so yeah. and so it's like what you like what I feel like you're describing is like this re like and this is what Hasidus does, right? Mm-hmm. Is this reframing of your of your experience, like where the thing that you're doing is like you said is like right. this inherently worthy and powerful gift, right? Um, and I feel like. I think that's for me the hardest thing when I see people not creating because I it's not just that they're not creating mm-hmm. it's that you can see that the reasons that they're doing it are very often coming from a place of pain right. and, or fear right, and right, right, right. and not healthy fear like the kind of fear that that is um crippling sure. you know and and um you know I and I and it was what was what I actually find most fascinating about all that stuff is like how it wasn't some grand revelation. It was the grand revelations were great, like with if you want to write and mm-hmm. all that stuff. But what really made a difference was just learning to train myself. Oh yeah, and the other thing you had to do after having the cookie or during the cookie mm-hmm. was thinking in your head. She tells you you have to think, and it was actually amazing how much of an impact mm-hmm. that has because I've also done it without doing that. Is you have to also celebrate in your mind, mm, like that's awesome. yeah, like celebrate. I just wrote <laughs> like this is amazing, yeah. and it's so interesting because. That really should be our response when we do something new out mm-hmm. of nowhere, yesh like when we're creating something. Right. 
Like when we think in our minds that that is like, like when we, like the the whole, my point being that the opposite of that is usually is very often like, oh my gosh, I didn't write enough. Right, I remember right. thinking this. I remember like I didn't write enough. I didn't write well enough. This doesn't come out how I want. Like we have all these thoughts. We don't realize that there's not actually substance to those things. Mm-hmm. There is substance, but there's not. Like it comes, it doesn't come from the place of actually being worried about those things. It comes from a place of, of I'm going to constantly look at my stuff f- from a judgmental point of view, right. you know, um, and from a, you know, just basically like the critical teacher point of view of mm-hmm. like red lines over everything, you know. And I think for most of us, the teachers that we remember are the ones that like celebrated us, right. you know, and Definitely. like just encouraged us. Right. And so we have to be that to ourselves. And if we're not, then wow, like we're being like the crappy teachers to ourselves. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? No, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. How do you how do you kind of foster a lot of pride for yourself? You know, how like Right. I mean, I think that's why art is so like an inherently introspective activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. interesting just thinking about it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i mean it's i like i think especially for people for whom it's difficult i actually think it's like an amazing opportunity because we tend to it it, it, forcing yourself to just sit down and make something Mm -hmm. is like and and to celebrate it and all these things these are experiences of like having to learn about yourself you know it's like what you were describing before like i have to really face myself you know um yeah yeah i think also like it's interesting because also what comes to mind is that there's definitely that like you know positive teacher response that you should have to your work but i think also like something that keeps on coming up when you're talking is like this idea of habit also is that when you're like because when your brain is learning something new it's like uh you know or when you're walking somewhere you've never walked before and everything is new and it seems longer but then once you're walking back you're like oh i've already you know everything that seems shorter and easier. So, you know, one thing is just like there should be, we should definitely always work on the positive responses and finding the positive in what we're doing and finding, you know, being able to say, I like this part of what I did. I like this, you know, giving your, but I think also just getting to that place where it's almost like a neutral, you know, that, that you're just creating, you know, okay, this is, it's just like, just like you're taking a shower in the morning, you know, you're just like, okay, I just created something. I just did this, you know, and you move on also like that. It just becomes such a natural experience, you know, that it's even beyond like can be beyond the grading of like good or bad. It's just uh, both at the same time, you know, but that it's no, I mean, I think that's 100% true. I mean, yeah. I think that's the goal. Like I think, yeah. and I think that I, the, the sad thing also is for me is that people don't realize that that's the goal. A lot of times, like they think that the first, the first part is, is all there is. And like, um, like they're just getting yourself to be positive with yourself right, and that right, sort right. of thing. But the truth is it's like, it's just like, I think the Alter Rebbe said about studying Torah that like, Yes, like for basically two points that like the idea is that like you're supposed to study Torah without any, um, what's it called? Any ulterior motives. Mm -hmm. That said, like he said, like essentially, if you need to start off to get into the habit Mm -hmm. of studying Torah by having ulterior motives, that's great. But ultimately, yeah, like we we should realize like this is just a part of our lives, and 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 yeah, habit is essentially the way that we get there, and like, and I think. The hardest thing for me, well, the hardest, I'm saying this about every single thing, <laughs> but it is, it's all hard for me. I, I, I was just joking passion, the other day. Passion. I was just joking the other day about like how I'm like overworked and I was saying, you remember that part in the office when oh they're gosh. talking about Michael yeah. Scott's memos and yeah. they all say emergency on them <laughs> and there's just different levels of, oh or no, they gosh. all say urgent on them and can they're I, all. Can I just say, like, I've been thinking recently about how our oldest Tanya is a lot like Elad. like Tanya has so much passion and everything's like the best or the worst (laughs) my favorite comment that she said was because she was (laughs) she was saying how she hated everyone in our house one day and then the next day um we got this like (laughs) kitchen set and she goes she goes um I know how yesterday I said I didn't like I hated everyone but actually I love everyone (laughs) (laughs) yep uh, so she takes after her father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. 
Um, that's yeah. What was I gonna say about that? Yeah, that's. Uh, I love that. Wait. So what was I saying before? Um, that you everything's hard. But what was hard for you? The um. You oh ultra rabbi neutral. Oh right. That um that we have this myth in the world like that. I feel like we're. This is like an episode about shattering myths. I love it. Mm. But basically, like the shattering myths. <laughs> and um, well, I mean, I think why I describe it as all, all the hardest is because it's all part of like the same thing. Where like where there's all these myths that stop people from really being able to access right. their creativity, you know. Right. And like so anyway, so there's this one that is really pervasive, and um, even among like celebrated artists, mm-hmm. and and I think that's what's hard about it is basically there's this myth that like art is meant to come constantly from a place of inspiration, mm-hmm. which is ironic because we're talking right, about right, how important right, it is right. to be inspired. Right. But on the other hand, like there there's like these two sides to it mm-hmm. that the you know, people a lot of times will ask me that I ask other people who create a lot, like, like, how do you keep up your productivity? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I just write every day. Right. And, and like, it's actually not even that much. Like I mm-hmm. write for like, you know, an hour a day, mm-hmm. like if I'm lucky and on the subway, on the way to work, like that's where I get the most done, right. you know? And so the point being that all of that is is I've gone into a place like at least in that specific context where I'm not relying on being inspired, and not only that, I've actually come to see sometimes that being inspired can actually hurt the art that I'm working on, you know, Why? and um, because when it, I find like for me personally, I'm not saying for you no know, people shouldn't create when they're inspired, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying that I find that my writing is is better, I think, objectively when my mind is clear and focused. And oh, like, n- like unburdened by intense emotion. Right. Um, and what's interesting is that I usually become intensely emotional as I write, but mm-hmm. it's like through a state of flow as mm-hmm. opposed to through, you know, and I think that's the other, right. that's, that's how, that's how we get into that flow. And I remember mm-hmm. there's this thing, Stephen, King, I love, yeah, Stephen, you mentioned Stephen mm-hmm. King's book on writing. And one of my favorite things about the way he describes writing is he essentially, he grew up like in a blue collar world and he describes the activity as like, he sees it as blue collar work. Like you have to sit down, right. you have to work like you yeah, have to, yeah, yeah. and it, and it sounds, it sounds like a burden like that. But at the, on the other hand, we're talking about being able to create worlds and like, I imagine, you know, the world Stephen King's created and all these things. And, and so it's like the best kind of work, you know, right. um, yeah, it's both. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, we tend to think of it as a burden, but actually it's this beautiful thing where like, where wow, what if you could just really sit down and, and really just just do right. that, you know? And the, the, and what people don't realize, like they think it's a lot of like what I actually think is that when people rely on inspiration, the reason that they see it as so much work is because it's so much work to always start off fresh, like doing something new. Mm-hmm. When it's just a habit, when you're used to going to work every single day, right? It's not. This is like you're describing. It's not difficult. Mm-hmm. It's actually easy, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think the best metaphor is really exercise. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that for us to understand, you know, because... For people who exercise. Yeah, <laughs> like running, you know, right. like r- the experience of running is it's hard, you know, and it's, you know, and it's a lot of work, yeah. you know, but it's very pleasurable, you know, especially afterwards, you know, obviously endorphins and stuff like that, but also just your body becomes stronger, you know, so it's like it's pleasurable, but it's also work and it's also you have to do it, you know, consistently and then you see more re- rewards from it and then you, you know... I think that, and then and you're yeah. happier. When you yeah, happy. and I, you know, and it makes me think about our avoda of davening, which is supposed to be. Isn't that supposed to be like? What's that? That like you're supposed to put in that work. That's supposed to be, you know, davening is supposed to be avoda. You put in that work, and then sometimes you get the inspiration from it, but you shouldn't daven just because you're inspired, and you know, right? It's supposed to like. Well, it's interesting, also, like. It's funny because there's so many sides to this now, like once you start getting into all these conversations, because there's also this idea, you know, there's this thing that is another myth, which is kind of the opposite myth, mm. which is like, have you heard of the 10,000 hour rule? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this myth that that means that if you just do something for 10,000 right. hours, you're going to become an expert. Right. It. But it's actually not true. There's a, another side to that, which mm-hmm. is you have to be present. Like mm. you have to be very focused and actually like it depends on the person and, but I think the reason it depends on the person is because it is true, but it's also true because for how present you are, how focused and how much you care, like while you're in it, Mm -hmm. 
you know, um, and and that's actually the people who did the study say that they're like they're like don't misunderstand like you're not supposed to. So if someone is present and does ten thousand hours, guaranteed they'll succeed. It's a very high probability. Mm-hmm. Like um, th- not succeed, but become an expert. Like mm-hmm. they might not be commercially viable or I mean but maybe it's more likely but I'm saying it's really just about being a quote-unquote expert Mm -hmm. you know and where something becomes like a natural to you you know um and and I think that's like davening like davening is a great analogy for that I think because you can either uh depend on inspiration for your for your davening like wait until you're you know there's some people that do that like wait until you're inspired to daven and then there's other people who are just committed to just doing it every day, even though they're not experiencing anything. And then there's people who you have to make some sort of, you're not going to feel it every day, but mm-hmm. if you make the effort to right. feel it every day, that's the goal. It's like, yes, like you have to show up. But then the other thing is like, you have to make the effort to experience it. Right, right. right. I hear what you're saying. You know, so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's interesting because when I write, like I write every day, like ideally, you know, uh, with rare exceptions. And so now what's, what's actually beautiful about that is that that gives you the space then to then work on the effort of being present. Like, cause I, right, right. you know, cause rather than focus on oh, being so worried about, am I showing up? It's like, all right, that part's done. So now I get to focus on being present, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and that's interesting. Cause like once you get there, that's like a great, that's such a skill, mm-hmm. you know, such a skill to learn how to like be in that state of flow. Um, it's an, and that's something that you can only do if you're already in the habit of doing something regularly, Yeah. which is what people always say about davening, you know? Mm, nice stuff. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> this has been Shattering Glass. We've still got 23 minutes. Oh my gosh. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I feel like we're going to enter some different territory, maybe. Or I oh, don't yeah. Know. I don't know what's going to happen. What's on your mind? Oh, what's on my mind? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm always feeling like I want to meditate more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm always feeling like this is one of the secrets that's not so secret of the universe. So it's because this is the thing about davening. <laughs> okay. I never, oh, there was a connection. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's always a connection. <laughs> well, you're also saying what I'm thinking about. but True. Um, no, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I meant to like Jewish creativity. You know that experience when you dive in and you're really, are like really trying to speak with God and you're like, oh, the entire, you know, like my whole person, what have I been doing all day? I've just been like (laughs) showing up at the factory and putting stuff on the conveyor belt, you know, when I should have been thinking about what is my life, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) I just feel like it's so important. And I've been coming back to this like every day for like, even like the last year I've been really like meditating is the answer to everything <laughs> not to everything but that it's so important yeah you know and um it just so you're saying in the sense that it gives you a, like that a similar thing as davening does or well i um yeah i yeah i mean i think they're different you know i think they're both important i think davening is like the special connection like i think um so it gets you to a place where you could daven in a good way kind of in a sense well, I think that I think that actually meditating is kind of like painting while davening is more like writing. Okay. Because painting is is more abstract. Right. You know, um and versus writing is very, you know, it's very verbal. It's very it's bring brought down more, you right. know? So that's why like yeah, like painting is just your even if you have a subject matter, it's just a lot of emotion poured onto <coughs> a physical object. Right. More hachma versus, you know, I feel like davening is more, it can't, it's more being in that way, right. you know, more. So, because um, this is the thing is like, okay, you know how like in Israel, you're like, oh my gosh, like Hashem is real, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh-huh. And like, I feel like you lose that once you leave Israel, you know? So I'm, I'm spending my days being like, I remember that I felt really close to Hashem in Israel. And like, you know, Israel, I mean, you're just asking me to talk about what I'm thinking about. Loving it. <laughs> Keep it going. Keep rocking. Okay. So um, 
And like, you feel so disconnected, even though I feel great. We're doing our mission. We're doing these things. You know, a lot is going well. Yeah. But this feeling of like, you know, we're the Jewish people and Hashem and the land, you know, and all these things. It's like so far from us. Yeah. We're so caught up in, you know, and it's just like, you know, you can't, you know, like, it's just. It reminds me of like. Actually, we, I literally had this convers like a similar conversation um, uh, over Sukkot, um, where basically, like, I see Israel as Makif, and um, and the diaspora as oh, what's the opposite of Makif? Um, Mamale? No. Yeah, something like that. But no, Soviv Mamale. No, that's yeah, that's oh, opposite. Of, so Maki, it's a similar thing. Panemius? Yeah, Panemi, Right. So yeah. like the idea is basically like so Makif meaning. It surrounds you, right? And it makes it uh, easier in a sense. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but so like when you're out of Israel, like you need to do the inner work. Like, and I'm not saying that they don't do inner work in Israel, but I'm saying yeah, yeah. that you have to in right, America. Right, right, because you're so disconnected. Because, yeah, like you, yeah, or else you, you're really going to feel disconnected. Right. And I think like it just reminds me of like meditation also because it's this idea that you have to like – especially when you live in a place like Brooklyn, you know, and you have kids and you're Mm -hmm. working and this and that Mm -hmm. and whatever. It's like to have 10 minutes where you're not obsessing, like thinking and overworked and whatever. Yeah. yeah. You're just there, you know, that is like a crazy gift. Yeah. Because also like, it's just so like, you know, that we're physical bodies, right. That you can appreciate like, Oh, I'm just like, this is just my body and it's holding all of my stuff and, and to realize <laughs> this was a Rivka sentence ever. <laughs> it's just my body it's holding my stuff <laughs> no what a beautiful one no I know <laughs> I just love the wording of it okay. I want to give a shout out to Rachel Can actually because she has this um, quote in her I'm loving all the shout outs <laughs> like we're on live radio because I'm really hoping people are listening because yeah. it's like if you were listening someone mentioned your name you'd be like ah so what about Rachel Can? So, so Rachel Can has one of her things where she says, like, you know, we're flesh covered. What did she say? You know that line? Yeah, I remember that. I just remember like what the we're in flesh cov- covered prisons. I get it. You know, like, <laughs> that's a great line. But um, so yeah, but like to to learn about how like our brain works is unbelievable like every single part of our body is so crazy amazing Mm -hmm. you know but we never really appreciate it that much unless we're like directly learning about it but when you're just sitting there and you're breathing you're just like oh my gosh i am this amazing creature that is just incredibly synchronized you know (laughs) i don't know if everyone has that experience (laughs) but that's awesome that you have that experience that's great well i don't you know but it's no but it allows you to enter that place yeah you're really not doing and you're just being like i'm just here and i'm just breathing and i'm just you know it's so important i just feel like you know obviously this is something that many cultures and people have done for you know millennia you know meditating and different things and so, and, you know, and I think it's so important for an integ- I know, like, I think it's important to integrate with Jewish practice and and stuff like that. Yeah. It was interesting. You know, the Rebbe tried to encourage meditation. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, without the, like, like the religious aspects of it. that were, Did he encourage but, it or just did he say it was fine? No, he encouraged it. Oh, really? There was, yeah, there's this whole thing about where, the, where he was trying to push, like, he was trying to get it to be more... Like common, I, mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact. I don't want to like take him out of con- like misquote him or anything like that. But I think like essentially, there's a whole paper on it. You can look it up. But uh, I'm saying to the listener, not to you. But uh, <laughs> you want to give anyone a shout out? Um, Rebbe. <laughs> yeah, okay. Rebbe's yeah, inspired this. Um, hope he's listening. Um, okay. <laughs> but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, what was I saying? So yeah. So anyway, my re- my point being that, like, I actually think when I literally when I do, I've, I've started doing it five minutes a day, and it changes. Oh, my meditation. Life. Yeah, yeah, like it's really powerful. It's so important, and I really hope to be doing it more. I yeah. also think it's like one of the things that we don't realize. A lot of times, people look at that stuff and be like, "Oh, you know, whatever." You know, it's new agey, whatever. But the truth is, it's just like we are living like such 
unnatural lives, mm-hmm. especially now. Even if we didn't live in the city, we have smartphones, right. which are like this constant distraction yeah, device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to just like take a break from that is like a powerful thing. To mm-hmm. take, um, you know, there's some like we're, it's a, it's amazing to me when you study this stuff. Like right. how. And it's funny because I work and it's mm-hmm. like we're doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. Like I work in this, but at the same time, right. you know, they actually say that the people that work in Silicon Valley are mm-hmm. actually more likely to give their kids rules. Like they, they can't use their phone mm-hmm. and they send their kids specifically to schools that don't let them use their phones, like these private schools. And there's a whole article about that. And like the point being, like the more you know about it, the more you understand right. actually how dangerous it mm-hmm. is uh, and how unhealthy, mm-hmm. especially apps like Facebook. So the idea is basically that we... Our brains, when we overuse that stuff, literally uh, mirror brains on drugs, drugs, not just on drugs, on like cocaine, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And so, you know, when we do these little things that help us refocus, it's like amazing. And I think and I think that's so interesting because I think it's so easy to get like you're saying, to get caught up in life and like just to. Can you imagine living your whole life and only caring about like what's in front of you? Mm-hmm. Like that's so sad, you know. And I think that's probably a big part of why I became religious was because right. I saw like at least a philosophy that mm-hmm. was like we need to take some time out of every day mm-hmm. and whatever and understand that there's a big picture. Right, definitely. Yeah. yeah. What's on your mind? What's on my mind? Um, good question. Happy to be here. Happy to be hanging. I've been thinking a lot about... It's funny because this... In the last 10 minutes of the last one with mm-hmm. with Eitan, I was talking... I kind of like brought up a subject that he brought up before the, the podcast where it's this idea of how do you balance like inspiration and also justice you know and like mm-hmm. these sorts of things that we fight for and i yeah. think i think it's a very interesting difficult discussion these days like and i think it's something that i've been bringing up a lot in the podcast and in conversations and mm-hmm. all these things because i think like when you primarily consider yourself a like a creative and, and trying to inspire people and all these things right <clears throat> i think you you i mean I, I i think i genuinely feel how hard it is to write about social topics and mm-hmm. to write about things that are important like the me too campaign and stuff like that but i think the question is like i guess i was thinking about that conversation with him and other people and i was thinking ultimately whatever i'm doing with that like even if people see me as a more negative person if i'm creating more things and I'm building a better, like if I, like I'm seeing like the actual effects of it, for mm-hmm. example, like that I wrote all these angry articles yeah. about, yeah. about politics mm-hmm. and all these things. And that literally helped. It wasn't the reason, but it helped um, contribute to a community online right. and, and all that stuff and, and help people feel at home and all these mm-hmm. things. And, and so I wonder, like, it's interesting because I'm this perfectionist, all these things. So these sorts of comments really get to me. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I was trying to think like, well, if it is resulting in as much good as I possibly could, and it's actually resulted in more good than I've ever think I've accomplished since I started writing, yeah, then I think maybe it's worth it for people to look like it's for some people. I don't obviously I don't think everyone looks at me like that, but I think maybe it's worth it to embrace people looking at me as a negative person. Like I'm like I'm saying, if they think that, then right. it's fine. Sure, I mean, you know, well, what do you mean? What's really the the conflict for you like what exactly? I think well because I think the question is you want to be inspiring you want to be an insp- like or you want I want to be mm-hmm. I, I like I care about that I want I, mm-hmm. I, I did care about that like this idea of like people looking at you being able to see hope being able to see right. positivity like being able to access a deeper part of themselves all mm-hmm. these things that come with I think creativity ideally right and I think what's hard for me is since I've started writing more like as a, I don't know, like a warrior or something Mm -hmm. like I kind of seem, is that sometimes it feels like I'm not doing that or it feels like I'm bringing people down Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Do you really feel like that, that you might be bringing people down or you just, I do think so. I think I am. I mean, I think more than before. I mean, I think, I think it was easier for people to perceive me. And I think there's a difference between what I'm the actual, 
effect I'm having on there's mm-hmm. a, I think there's an important distinction here, which is I think what I'm starting to realize is that there's a difference between how people perceive me mm-hmm. and what is actually happening to people. Like right. in the sense oh, right, that, right, 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 exactly. Right, in the sense exactly. that if pe- people may see me as a more negative person, right. though, because I write about more negative things and I'm very openly mm-hmm. negative about certain things, more than I used to be, at least as a writer. Mm-hmm. Now, in my day-to-day life, ironically, I think it switched my day-to-day life. But mm-hmm. like, but um, so they might see me like that, but... I hear you saying, yeah. But the actual effect, like I can see yeah. also these messages and these yeah. things that people are like, oh, that's it's so inspiring. Yeah. That's really interesting that actually like even the people who are complaining are benefiting from your negativity. Like right. quote unquote Well, negativity. no, I mean, that's what I, that's actually really interesting because I think it's also a wide, this is like a wide issue. It's not just with, with me. I think like I've been thinking of that about mm-hmm. the um, abuse stuff, like, right. like JCW, Jewish Community mm-hmm. Watch, which is like. Uh, for those listening, it's like this organization that f- has fought abuse for a long time in the Jewish community. And they get so much, they got, especially when they started, right. they were seen as like this pariah and mm-hmm. like this outsider group. And now they're like mainstream. But I think the point was that however people looked, like people looked at them as like a downer, you know right, what I'm right, saying? Right, like, right. because they were, they were a downer. They were constantly talking about abuse. Right. And it's like, it's like, oh, when will it stop? You know, that's kind of people's perception. Right. It's like the Me Too campaign, right. you know, and like, and the, all these women coming out about harassment, all right. these things. My point being that, yes, there's all this negativity, mm-hmm. but the people complaining about that negativity don't realize like that those people are fighting for them. Right, like right, exactly. if those people have daughters or wives or, uh, or even if they're men, like it, if all these things, the, the Me Too campaign is benefiting their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good way to look at it. Look at your work. I mean, it reminds me also of being a parent, you know, in that, <laughs> right. in that, like, a kid is like, why are you telling me to, you know, clean my room? Oh, wow, and, you know, and you're like, well, I, you know, so they perceive you as negative. Right. But you feel like you're doing something positive for them, that you're helping them and teaching them, and this is important for them, you know? You just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. This is like a morning zoo show I'm where we have to, sound effects. For I'm trying everything. to be as dorky as possible and see what, what I can handle. I told you I'm going to embrace it here. <laughs> I love it. And that's once we leave, I'll say, I hated that <laughs> I sound effect. I was so effect. embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> I like that Jersey voice you just had. What was that? Is that accent? a Jersey voice? I don't know. It's like a female Jersey. It was just like a whiny voice. <laughs> But um, Sorry, I think that's my voice when I whine. But shout out to all the Jersey people. Shout out, shout out. We love Jersey here. Like, <laughs> let's not get confused. Um, <laughs> so what was I saying? Oh, that I think, you know, I think it's so interesting because I think one of the the other another perfectionist thing is to t- to assume that people's perceptions of you, of you are accurate. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Right. That's yeah. 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 Like if someone says you're a negative person, especially right. if a lot of people say it, like mm-hmm. not that you should never listen. I'm not saying like we should, we should be like this shell that like I refuse to take input, you know. But <clears throat> but we also have to right. think for ourselves. Mm-hmm. What know? is true about it? What's not true? Right. Just like if our kids, right. like, and again, it's you know it's a different relationship. But I think yeah. that's such a great analogy because if our kids are saying that over and over again, obviously we should try to understand like okay, what is causing them to feel that way? Right. But then we also have to at times be like, look. Like I, I just I get that they're gonna be upset about this. Right. They're gonna see me as a, a neg, uh, ne- you know, a tough person or something like that in this moment, you know. But I have to do it. Right. You know? Right. I mean, I think I think that's one of the most fascinating experiences about doing art. That is, I don't even know if I would call it art, but like stuff like op eds and all these things, where the there's like the emotional experience for people, but then there's also the effect. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. they're both the same, but I think like, how do I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, you know what? It's actually really like the way that if you read a lot of books about art mm-hmm. um, from before the internet was around, mm-hmm. they spoke a lot about critics and mm, like right, being right. able to separate yourself from critics. Right. And it's funny because like they complain so much, so bitterly <laughs> about critics and all these books. It's like, if you only knew what's coming, right, right. <laughs> you know, cause now you have uh, a million critics mm-hmm. on everything you write, you mm-hmm. know, or everything you do, if you're public about it, mm-hmm. you know, and even if you're like an unknown, you know, you put something out there, your like brother's going to be like, you know, blah, 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 something, something. Mm-hmm. 
and not my brother, not your brother. Shout out my, to my brother. brother because I don't have a brother, <laughs> which is why I'm bringing that up. Um, but yeah, my point being like that, a brother. That, that like being like the so one of the big messages in all these books is like being able to be like. First of all, to be able to like they, I, one of the things I actually like ab- about it is like they they have a sort of snobbiness in a in a good way of like well I'm out there doing things <laughs> I'm out there creating I'm out there doing you know and critics mm-hmm. um, right, right they're they're I they're definitely like you know I wouldn't go as far as like the books tend to go but like I think that they make a great point where they're like the critics are just out there. Bringing, bringing people down, but not right. doing anything of their own, right, you right. know, or not saying anything of their own. And they think that that's somehow a higher thing. And it's really not like I would rather, you know, I would rather have like an, an angry artist that's messing things up because ultimately like, like I think eventually like such a person, even if they don't like they're, they're accessing something, they're building something. Um, then a critic who's just like, blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. But what's interesting is that, I agree, but I think it's like interesting perspective because, like you're saying that the critic is bringing down, right? But a lot of times right. people that's, see the artist as bringing down, right? No, I think know? that's a great point. You know? I mean, and I think the question is when do you become a critic as well? Because right. I think I think it's <laughs> very easy for art itself to become like that, um, and I think that's a question we always have to ask ourselves, and that's why I wouldn't take it as far as those mm-hmm. those books. But I think it's also like now we live in this age, and we live. I mean, especially since the election, like we live in this time where like. Almost like you can make something that's like nonpartisan and it's still partisan mm-hmm. in a way. Like it's still right. divisive. Mm-hmm. And so we're living in an age where like the most artistic thing can be an act of pol- political action. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard because, you know, the books that I, I'm referring to tend to th- see it as more like I'm just making a like a novel, you know, a novel that is coming from deep in my soul and all these right. things that doesn't, doesn't necessarily have social implications, you mm-hmm. know. Um, which, so for them, it's like, like, who are these people that think they're self-appointed to judge my novel, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Right. Um, but I do, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think we, I think that's so, so essential, like, because, because I think, you know, one of the things I also found interesting is if you want to write, she talks about critics and she goes, there's kind of like two kinds of critics that she talks about. Mm -hmm. One, she says there's the critics that she sees as great critics, like Mm -hmm. the people that uplift art through examining it and, and like essentially using it as another opportunity to build, to build something, you know, and to, to create something of their own in a sense, like, by like deep criticism. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah. No. And then there's the other critics who are just essentially only. Right trying to destroy but right yeah i mean i think it's was, it was really interesting how she and i think also julia cameron talks about good critics you know right people that are able to say like that specific thing isn't working in a way that you're like you're right that part isn't working and right. they say it in a way that you can take it and they say it in a way that uh, from love and they say it in, and they're actually looking at it you right know? and i think it's like i think one of the big differences is like can i have a conversation with that person like because right. it's like i don't even have to agree with them but like I, one of the things that i've noticed is that that um when like i would like again i would prefer someone who says something really offensive and and like out of line but says it in a way that's like digestible and re- like and not personal and all these blah blah mm-hmm. blah blah all these things right. because then you can then you can have a conversation with such a person right. like you can you can talk about it you can right you yeah because you can sense when someone is giving you a critique if they're just like they just want to rip you down right or they're like but I don't get it you know why you know like and they're speaking to you because they respect you and they want to understand you right. know in a real way. Right. I mean, I yeah. like, and I would even take it so far as to say, I don't even care if they respect me. I care if they talk in a way that allows respect to be had in the conversation. You know what I'm saying? Right. But I think they have to respect you in order to feel that, Maybe. you know, yeah. even if they think what you're doing is wrong, they have to like, you're a human being and they, you know, and they know, you know, yeah. like, yeah, that's really interesting. To, I think there's be, yeah. Yeah. I hear that. I, yeah. I had like an interesting experience recently where someone, I emailed someone and uh, I don't even know. It's kind of a complicated story. But basically, she gave me a rebuke because, like, I was asking, can I do this? And so, whatever. She gave me a rebuke. And it was, but it was in a very loving way. Like, it was in this way. She's like, I'm sorry to, you know, I don't want to sound this, whatever. But that, and I got the email and I, like, cried. Oh, wow. Because I felt, oh, you know, I felt bad. And I also felt like, but she's totally right. 
And I and it was like wow. it was like a good kind of crying. It was like she's right. I did that wrong. And I wrote her back and I was like, You're right, you know, and this and she's like, you know, thank you for receiving that well and you know, and it was like, you know, what you know, the Torah says about rebuke, like when people can really rebuke well, yeah. you know, then you're just like, Yeah, that's that's what was wrong, you know, and you're right, you know. And I think it's really powerful when you just get the sense when people are really looking at your art, they really they really see something there. They really get it, you know? Um, they really, and even if there's something that doesn't work, like um, I had Talia Feldman. Talia, you out there? <laughs> Talia's a great artist. And she came and looked at my work and she said, you know, I really like it. She's like, I'm interested in you being even more abstract. Mm. You know, and I was like, yes, you're exactly right. Mm. You know, like I love that idea and I love like I understood what she saw and like where it could go. And I was like, you know, so, you know, I think like this to me brings us like almost full, full circle to like what we're trying to do, which is, which is that one of the things that the most important thing I think is to the best way to get both like critiques and like that uplifting mm-hmm. sort of description of what you're talking about is like um, to have a community. You know, right. like a community of artists right. or a community of whatever, but mm-hmm. like, but in this regard, like right. a community of people. And I think, because I think we're so, we're so separated these days and right. we're, and we're so used to being able to just see, we see a piece of writing or a piece mm-hmm. of art or whatever online and, and, we're, and, we're, and, and we're not really responding to the person. We're like responding to our own emotions right. and we're just throwing it out mm-hmm. into the world. And so that's why it can be very unproductive. But like when you have a community, what that does for you is it allows you, like it forces you kind of to see the people that you're talking to as human, you know, um, because you share something you share. Um, and not only that, like to have a, a functioning community respect right. for each other is kind of a prerequisite, you know? And so for me, I think like, it's one of the reasons I actually, to me, like, it, ironically, I almost feel like, yes, I care about being, like, a creative shliach and these sorts of things. But part of it is very selfish. Like, I, I need, like, this group of people around me to help me, like, weather the storm of, of like, cre- of creation, mm-hmm. you know. And, like, it's, you know, having just people that can just be supportive and, like, right. uplifting. Right, in the it's, real like, sense. Because, you know, I think uh-huh. as Jews, you know, obviously we have community. You know, we're all connected to each other and we all, you know, we have, you know. Right, community by default kind of or something. Yeah, or even like, you know, you can always, you know, you can always be connected but not really be like functional in a way, you know, like the really optimal functional community that really is everyone's getting, you know, um, Yitzhak Muli. Muli? Muli? Oh my God, so many shout outs. (laughs) I'm sorry. I love it. But I think that's the point is that, you know, like, to be connected to all these people who are inspiring me. So, you know, so like, so it's like Muli, he said something, he said, you know, we like, we just, instead of like everyone fighting over their own piece of the pie, everyone gets a piece of pie and we just make a bigger pie or something like that. I forgot what he said, you know, but the idea that it's the perspective that people have. So you can have community where everyone's trying to get their own piece of the pie and trying to shove people out of the way, you know, or you could have, um, yeah. Or you could have, you know, that everyone is working together to make a bigger pie so everyone gets a piece. Yeah. You know, like it's so that type of community. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even think, and I think on a micro level, when it comes to just a person, like for if like a person's listening, they don't have like their artistic community. I think like it's also could just be like a few friends or like a, or a spouse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like this feeling of knowing that there are people there that just support, like support you like inherently. Right. Like uh, without, you know, unconditionally. Yeah. And I think that's really like the healthiest community is like there, there's that love that's mm-hmm. like unconditional. I think that's why Chabad houses, for example, are so powerful because you can feel when you walk in, there's this like, uh, what's the word? Uh, uncon- I just said unconditional mm-hmm, mm-hmm. love and mm-hmm. anyone can walk in and all these things. And it's sadly kind of rare, you know, to right. have that. And so, yeah, it's like, what does it mean to really have a functional community? Right. Or fu- but it's even like just a support system. If Definitely. we're talking like on a mo- on the most basic Definitely, level, yeah. I think the ideal is a community. Yeah. But the truth is, having three friends that like unconditionally support you and love yeah. you and are willing to read your stuff and all these things has a huge impact. For sure, yeah. I mean, there's there's this quote um, that I forgot who said it, but you, but it was basically just that like there are these people you have that think you are just great. 
Right, they think right. you're just great, you know, and surround yourself by those people, right. you know, and there's like, there are some people in your life that you, they just think you're really special, right. you know, they really like in a way that you feel like they really get you. And it's those people that, yeah. This has been Rivka Harai. <laughs> Rivka, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> it's so good to have you. Thank you for having me. Maybe you'll come again. I hope so. All right. Well, it was so great. Um, how can people find your stuff before we go? So if you want to get a creative injection once a month, uh, you can go to artwarmingcards.com. And my art is on rifka.gallery. And uh, you can also find Rifka Neharai Art on Facebook. And I write for Hevria and Wisdom Daily. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Rifka. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hevria Cast. I'm Alad Neharai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hevria.com or facebook.com slash Hevria Mag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, and the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again.